When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Taking aim squarely at the popular theme of the working man's struggle against the iniquities of the system, this forgotten 80s flick tells the story of a mystery rebel in New York City whose popularity reaches almost mythic proportions before the internet, social media, and hashtags became the norm for spreading a protest message. So grab some spray paint, jump on your military motorcycle with matching sidecar, as Laramie Wells and I discuss Turk 182 from 1985 on this special forgotten 80s flick episode of the 80s flick flashback podcast. Timothy Hutton is taking his story to the people. He asked the authorities for justice. You can't just walk in and see the mayor. Oh, Mr. Mayor, what about my brother? Hey, shut up. But they wouldn't listen. Turk is risking his life to make sure that this message is heard. Turn that TV on! I gotta have your ID now. Go get it. Now, they can't ignore him. He's bringing authority to its knees and the city to its feet. Timothy Hutton in Turk 182. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today for this special bonus episode based on the Forgotten 80s flick social media series. I guess we started on TikTok, then it rolled over into Instagram. Uh, so this is one of the movies that I've featured over there, and glad to have Mr. Laramie Wells from Moving Panels Podcast to join me to talk about this 
a movie that he owns and is one of the reasons why we're able to do this podcast because it's not streaming anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so how you doing, Laramie? I'm good. I'm excited about this one. This one was a like I I loved I I know we're getting into what you're going to ask me anyway, but <laughs> I I discovered this one on television when I was a kid and mm-hmm. it has become like a legend for me. Like it's always stuck <laughs> with me, but I had never right. seen it since. And then, as you just said, I lucked out and found a DVD copy of it on mm-hmm. Amazon. Got so excited. And so, <laughs> yes, I'm very happy. Uh, it's an Australian um, release. Yeah, it's an Australian oh, okay. release. But uh, but it works on on uh, our DVD and Blu-ray player, so get to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so because actually, bar- yeah, I actually borrowed it from you like last year, early yeah. this year, somewhere. Around yeah, there. I was trying to pinpoint. I think it was earlier this year. Yeah, I think it was when it's uh, it's while we were doing newsies, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we were. I think we were talked about this because of Bob Clark, the director, who we know more famously from A Christmas Story, and of course we'll get more into his filmography a little bit later, but. Um, but Laramie remembered that he directed this movie, and I think that's how we, we, we kind of got started talking about it way back when and brought it back to the forefront of our memories. And so let's just jump in. Uh, so you saw it for the first time on television. Of course, as always. Dive any more <laughs> into that. And I guess you saw a TV version, not the cable version. I did. I even it. remember the, the like, in my mind, I still even remember the, you know, we'll return to Turk 182 following <laughs> these messages. Right, like, right, yeah. Yeah, I saw this one on cable. This is one of those on HBO, and I was when I was doing my research. Somebody, there's a couple of, there's not a whole lot of research about it, like from like mainstream. Fuss forgotten '80s flick. Exactly, exactly. It, it fits the the, the stereotype yeah. perfectly, um, or the label perfectly. But there were a lot of other people that have like, oh, let me talk about this movie that I remember seeing as a kid, and somebody had said like, this movie had to have ran twice a day on HBO for like two years straight. Because they had seen it so many times. And I remember like the commercial being played. Like in between the movies on HBO, they'll just show previews of other movies that were going to be on. And they would play this one a lot. And so it got played a lot. So this is, I definitely remember watching it on HBO as a kid. So It's just crazy. I saw it once as a kid. <laughs> and it stuck, and it with, stuck me with me you. for yeah. years. Right, right. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's funny now because re-watching it, there's so many people in it that I didn't remember being... I'm like, I remember Timothy Hutton, of course, because he's, you know, the main character. He's on the cover of the... He was on the cover of the VHS, the cover of the poster. And then, of course, Robert Ulrich. But I'd forgotten that Kim Cattrall was in this. Mm-hmm. Peter Boyle, uh, Darren McGavin, which we'll, we'll get to all that stuff. But um, So it's kind of fun to rewatch, even when I... We're, I'm, we're moving too fast. Anyway... <laughs> When was the last time you saw it before watching it for the podcast? It was probably about a year ago when I got the DVD. Like the mo- okay, so you haven't yeah. had that long. No, yeah. As soon as I got the DVD, I had to watch it. Okay. So yeah, so yeah it was it was about you know earlier this year, whenever it was that we were talking about when I got the DVD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I when I borrowed it from you, I watched it, but that and that so that's been within the last year, but before then. I don't think I've seen this since I probably was a kid. No, like, I don't same. think it's been yeah. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's crazy that this movie stuck in my head for <laughs> thirty years, probably. Right. From right. when I I first saw it. I mean, honestly, if if uh, the internet 
had really kind of existed in the way it does now. Um, mm-hmm. Back then, when I first saw it, I would almost guarantee you that my internet presence would have been Turk 182. <laughs> yeah, like you my been your call yeah, sign. my aim would have had Turk 182 in it. <laughs> my Yahoo right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. would have been Turk 182. Yeah, it definitely, definitely would have would have been there. But uh, of course, that didn't happen. But yeah, there's just <laughs> something about this movie. Now, of course, I didn't remember every minute detail about it. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. You know, like you're saying, you know, no, I didn't remember Kim Cattrall was in it. Um, you know, I didn't. I honestly, I don't even think I remembered that Robert Culp was in it. And I'm a huge mm-hmm. Greatest American Hero fan. Exactly. Exactly. But, but yeah, but it's just this is a movie that it, it's so hard to explain why it has. <laughs> just stuck in my head for 30 years mm-hmm. and i'm so glad that i get to actually watch it again yeah yeah it was a good one all right well so this because this is a forgotten 80s flick we'll give you a quick film synopsis of the movie for those of you who may not be familiar uh but of course we're going to spoil the heck out of this movie not there's a whole lot to spoil but uh just for a little <laughs> synopsis spoiling a 40 year old movie yeah there you go uh i mean that's what the whole this whole podcast is about is spoiling yeah. movies uh that people that you saw 30 years ago uh, firefighter Terry Lynch, played by Robert Ulrich, suffers major injuries rescuing a child from a burning building. But because he did it off-duty and had been at a bar earlier, he's denied any benefits. His little brother Jimmy, played by Timothy Hutton, tries taking the cause to swarmy Mayor Tyler, played by Robert Culp, but gets ignored. As Terry grows mortally depressed, Jimmy takes the battle to the streets, humiliating the city fathers with graffiti and other pranks signed with his big brother's nickname and badge number. And now a callous city government is going to have to reckon with Turk 182. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so some, you know, some titles have the exclamation point. Some don't. There's a little bit of trivia there. That there's not a whole lot of trivia there. But this may be a very short podcast because my story origin and pre-production is uh, literally a paragraph and a half. And not very much. But uh, here's what we got for story origin and pre-production. And, of course, if you know anything more about it, Laramie, jump right in. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and say that. I was I like, do not. I don't remember if there was a cop. There was a commentary on the DVD, isn't there? I think I, don't, I didn't listen to it. I, I don't remember. It. I'll have to look back. Yeah, that's okay. Originating from a story and screenplay by poet and playwright James Gregory Kingston, Turk 182 was the first credit for brother writing team Dennis and John Hamill, both siblings of journalist, author, and New York chronicler Pete Hamill. Oh, I thought you were going to say more Hamill. Yeah, no, like no relation. <laughs> As a team, they also wrote the Richard Pryor comedy Critical Condition, another forgotten 80s flick. I don't remember it. Yeah. The plot thread of leaving the tag, Turk 182, was inspired by a 70s New York City tagger calling himself Taki, T-A-K-I, 183, whose signatures around town started the rise of graffiti art. So the only other little pre-production that I have is in 1980, actress Diane Cannon announced she would direct and star in the film, but it was not made for another couple of years with Timothy Hutton starring and Bob Clark directing. This little quote I thought was interesting. Hutton has been quoted as saying, for me, it's a comedy because I smile in the movie. He's very much a kid, a kind of naive guy with a twinkle in his eye who goes around thinking thinking he can get away with everything. Well, there's now, a lot of comedic actors in there, it. Yeah, like, there's, yeah, but it doesn't play as a comedy. It also doesn't I mean, play as a drama. No, like it is kind of it's this yeah. weird amalgam of mm-hmm. of kind mm-hmm. of uh, kind of genres. And I saw some things talking about they were trying to 
give a Capra-esque type of That's good. movie from like, like the that. 30s and yeah, 40s. I like that. So you kind of watch it from that perspective. It kind of gives a little bit more of a tone than yeah. just watching it as it is. So Yeah, I like uh, that. Yeah, you're kind of like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. Yeah. All right. So, director Bob Clark is best known for directing and writing the script with Gene Shepard to the 1983 Christmas film A Christmas Story. Although he worked primarily in the United States from 1973 to 1983, he worked in Canada and was responsible for some of the most successful films in Canadian history, such as Black Christmas Great in '74, Murder by Decree in '79. Tribute in 1980, which I think Robert Culp is also in, huh. and Porky's in 82. Uh, yeah. We won't, yeah, forgot. That's one that needs to be forgotten. <laughs> to be forgotten, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And not because it's and bad. And the sequels. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, but the sad news is uh, Mr. Clark died in his car along with his 22-year-old son, Ariel, in a head-on crash when a drunk driver steered into the wrong lane in Los Angeles on April 4th, 2007. The driver of the other car was later charged with driving without a driver's license and uh, while intoxicated. Sad, sad story. Horrible. So, but uh, Bob Clark, I mean, he's a great director. Uh, he's made, you know, kind of a wide variety Very much of, so. uh, of movies. He also directed Rhinestone with uh, Dolly Parton and Sylvester Stallone, another forgotten 80s flick that yeah. I've actually never seen. I've, never I've seen, seen the commercial... Either. Many times. Yeah, I'm familiar. Uh, I know it never, exists, but I've never seen it. Right, right. Another one that you can't find streaming anywhere. I don't even know if there's even a DVD copy anywhere. Like, that's one you really got to search out to try to find. Challenge accepted. <laughs> as, as Larry goes to eBay and as other many sources. And now, these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. So let's talk a little bit about casting, because that's it. That's the only pre-production I got. So so we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time with casting for this one. So Timothy Hutton as Jimmy Lynch. Uh, Timothy Hutton burst onto the acting scene in the late 70s. After only a few significant roles in TV movies, he bagged the part of Conrad and the Robert Redford-directed Ordinary People in 1980. Hutton has since appeared regularly in feature films and on television with featured roles in the drama Taps from 81, one of my favorites, 
The Spy from The Falcon and the Snowman in 85, and the horror film The Dark Half in 1993, among others. I, I gotta admit, I'm not a big, like, Timothy Hutton. Not not that he's not a good actor, I just... Right, right. I don't really connect an awful lot with him, mm-hmm. other than Leverage, the television yeah, show. Yeah, the TV I, show. I really yeah. think that's that's the one thing that when I see him, I go, what do I know him from? Mm-hmm. And it's Leverage. Yeah, I really uh, I want to say Oh, and The Haunting of Hill House Okay He's in The Haunting of Hill House (laughs) I forgot about that I was just looking at his face and I went, oh yeah Yeah, he's in that too Yeah, I was going to say I think the only two movies that I really know Timothy Hutton from from from, as a kid is this movie and Taps Like I've never seen Falcon and the Snowman I I know it's, I've heard it's really good I have not either I didn't see Ordinary People, and he's probably been in some other things that I don't really remember, but Taps is one that I saw on cable a lot, uh, and I watched, I've watched i watched that one a couple of times over the years, uh, so it's really good. So, uh, Alright, we're moving right along with Robert Urich. Urich, I don't know how to say his name. As Terry Lynch, he began his career in television in the early 70s after guest stints and roles in short-lived television series. He won a co-starring role in the action crime drama series SWAT in 75. In 1978, he landed the lead role of Dan Tana in the crime drama series Vegas, which aired on ABC from 78 to June of 1981, and earned him two Golden Globe nominations. In addition to his work in television, he also co-starred in several feature films, including Magnum Force in 73, The Ice Pirates in 84, (laughs) another forgotten 80s (laughs) flick. From 85 to 88, he portrayed the title role in the detective television series Spencer for Hire, which is what I remember him from, based on Robert B. Parker's series of mystery novels. He was actually starring in the TV series The Lazarus Man in 1980, I'm sorry, 1996 when he was diagnosed with cancer, which caused the cancellation of the series, which he later sued the producers for. Wow. The cancer went into remission after treatment. He resumed acting again with his role as Captain Jim Kennedy III on Love Boat the Next Wave in 1998, <laughs> which was on UPN, I think. Speaking of forgotten. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the cancer would claim his, his life on April 16, 2002, at the age of 55. Then you've got Kim Cattrall as Danny Boudreaux. Cattrall worked steadily through the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, including roles in other 80s cult classics such as Police Academy in 84, Big Trouble in Little China in 86, and Mannequin in 87, and as Mr. Spock's protege, Lieutenant Valeris, Valeris in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country in 1991. But of course, most people know her now from Sex and the City. No. Police Academy. Police, yeah. <laughs> Police Academy and Mannequin. That's... Yeah. That's Kim Cattrall for me. Mannequin was the movie that I know her the most from. And she did some other movies in the 80s, too. Like, I forget that she's in Police Academy until I go back and watch it. Then, of course, the great Robert Culp as Mayor Tyler. I love this. He was a former cartoonist in his teen years. Oh, wow. Appeared off-Broadway in the 50s before settling into polished, clean-cut film leads and other man supporting roles a decade later. He had a breakthrough with the racially groundbreaking espionage TV show I Spy in 1965. He returned to series TV as stern FBI special agent Bill Maxwell, Bill Maxwell. whose job was to work with the handsome William Cat uh, in Greatest American Hero. You got a thing for William Cat, Tim? I, that's what it just yeah. says. I'm just reading it. I'm just reading the copy. That's all I'm reading. I didn't write this copy. I'm just reading it. 
Uh, but speaking of uh, Greatest American Hero, I'm wearing my Greatest American Hero t-shirt while we're filming this, recording this podcast. Uh, the show lasted only three seasons, and if you haven't gone back to listen to the Moving Panels uh, podcast episode about Greatest American Hero, definitely go check it out. It's one of my favorites. One, yeah, one of, one of my favorite shows from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Other series guest spots, both comedic and dramatic, included Hotel in 83, Highway to Heaven in 84, The Golden Girls in 85, and an episode of his old buddy's show, The Cosby Show, in 1984. In later years, he could be seen occasionally as Ray Romano's father-in-law on the hugely popular Everybody Loves Raymond. Really? Um, yeah. I did yeah. not. I didn't watch Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, I I didn't watch it when it was on, but I'll catch the reruns and I'll watch an episode sparingly here and there. And it's actually pretty funny. My dad loves it. I think my dad's yeah. got one of the seasons on DVD. That's kind of cool because uh, it has another connection with this movie. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, on March 24th, 2010, the 79-year-old cult collapsed from an apparent heart attack while walking near the lower entrance to Runyon Canyon Park, a popular hiking area in the Hollywood Hills. Found by a hiker, Culp was transported to a nearby hospital where he died from the head injuries he sustained in the fall. Mm. There's a lot of sad yeah. stories in the cast in this one, which was Bring everybody fun. down with, let's talk yeah. about how all these people died. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... We honor them in their life, and we honor them in their death. So, uh, but yes, but he was on Every Man That Loves Raymond, along with co-star Peter, Peter Boyle, Boyle, who we'll get to in just a second. But before that, let's talk about Darren McGavin as Detective Kowalski, the old man. The old man. In 1971, he landed the role of cynical reporter Carl Kolchak in the low-budget horror thriller The Night Stalker. Such a great show about a vampire running amok in Las Vegas. The film was a monster ratings winner, yeah, pun intended, and the highest-rated telemovie of 1972. The original scriptwriters were soon hard at work on a punchier sequel. The Night Strangler in 73 saw Kolchak in Seattle after being booted out of Las Vegas by the police, and this time on the trail of a serial killer seeking the elixir of eternal youth. The second movie was equally successful and spawned the short-lived TV series Kolchak the Night Stalker in 74, with Simon Oakland as McGavin's long-suffering editor and a host of weekly guest stars. The series only lasted one season, but it became a bona fide cult classic, and many years later, its premise of the unknown amongst us inspired writer Chris Carter to create the phenomenally successful long-running TV show, The X-Files, which actually saw McGavin guest star in several mm -hmm. episodes, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. I, was a, I, watched, I wasn't a huge fan of X-Files. I watched, I think, the first season or two. Yeah, I watched early episodes. I didn't watch yeah, it once I didn't Mulder stay with and Scully weren't really in it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, McGavin remained busy throughout the rest of the 70s and into the 80s, appearing in Airport 77 as General George S. Patton in the TV miniseries Ike, The War Years in 79, alongside, alongside Rock Hudson in the uneven sci-fi miniseries The Martian Chronicles in the 80s, and a few years later endeared himself to a whole new generation of fans with a superb performance as the stern yet buffoonish father in the delightful Christmas classic A Christmas Story. Hmm. The always versatile McGavin also appeared with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Raw Deal and as a doctor in the bizarre zombie cop, zombie cop film Dead Heat. That makes sense when you read it, but when I say it, so <laughs> zombie slash cop slash zombie, zombie cop, cop film, film. Yeah. Dead Heat in 88 with Joe Piscopo, I think, was in that one. Uh, he passed away on February 25th, 2006. And again, with the bringing everybody down. All right. He's dead too. Uh, I've only got one more, I think. <laughs> oh, no, I got two. Anyway, uh, moving right along. 
Peter Boyle as Detective Ryan. Uh, destined to be cast as monstrous, undesirables throughout much of his career, he played a monster of another sort in his early film days. His hilarious Frankenstein's monster in the cult Mel Brooks spoof Young Frankenstein Classic. from 74 yeah, saw, him in his, saw him in a sympathetic and certainly more humorous vein. Late 70s film goers continued to witness Boyle in seamy urban settings with brutish roles in Taxi Driver in 76 and Hardcore in 79. At the same time, he addressed several TV mini-movie roles with the same brilliant darkness, such as his Senator Joe McCarthy in Tail Gunner Joe in 77, for which he received an Emmy nomination, and his murderous knife-wielding fatso in the miniseries remake of From Here to Eternity in 1979. Whew, that's a lot to read. <laughs> While the following decade found Peter in predominantly less noteworthy filming and a short-lived TV series lead as remote comp, the remote cop Joe Bash in 86, the 90s brought him Emmy glory for a guest role on The X-Files, we hey. just talked about. Despite a blood clot-induced stroke in 1990 that impaired his speech for six months, he ventured on and capped his envi- enviable, yeah, his enviable career on TV, wielding funny but crass one-liners in the Archie Bunker mold on the long-running sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. We've talked about that already, too. He survived a heart attack while on the set of Everybody Loves Raymond in 1999. I remember that making the news, but managed to return full-time for the remainder of the series run through 2005. Then, following a superb turn as Billy Bob Thornton's unrepentant racist father in the Oscar-winning Monsters Ball in 2001, the remainder of his films were primarily situated in frivolous comedy fairs such as, here's the list right here for you, The Adventures of Pluto Nash in 2002, <sighs> The Santa Claus 2 in hey, 2002. That's a he good was one. good in that. Yeah, Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed in 2004, and Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause in 2006. <laughs> he usually plays cranky curmudgeons. Unfortunately, he did die of multiple myeloma, bone marrow cancer, and heart disease in 2006. He was 71 years old. He's a, he's a, okay. he's a legend, though. He is. Yeah, and, he, and he's good in this one. He's, you know... He, he, it's he's funny the to villain. See him he is surely the villain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's funny to see him in this movie after... Seeing him more recently in comedies, like seeing him in a serious role, was was a little interesting to watch. He's probably the most serious person in this entire movie. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that statement. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that statement. I was going to say if if Timothy Hutton was playing this as a comedy, I think Robert Oreck is kind of drama and comedy together. Cottrell thinks she's in a straight up drama. Mm-hmm. But Boyle is probably yeah he's he's playing it 100 percent straight, um, yeah. like serious. Robert serious, Culp serious. is just playing Robert Culp. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I he's don't just, think he has you know. a different. <laughs> he's the same in everything, and I love him. But for I w- but I will say like for this one, he's perfectly cast as the politician because he's got that swarminess, but still he's still kind of likable, even though you know they they want him. You want him to be somewhat unsympathetic. Yeah. He's still kind of, he's still, he would still be a yeah. fun guy to be around, it seems like. Yeah. So, uh, rounding out the cast here of the ones we're going to talk about, James Tolkien as Hanley. Uh, I'm not going to dig into his because we've already discussed his history and filmography and on he, our Top Gun <laughs> and Back to the Future episodes. And he only has like eight lines in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, the cameo by the late, great Paul Servino, who has appeared in a variety of TV and film productions over the years. Probably the best scene of the movie, though, in my in Oh, my yeah, opinion. yeah. The, the, 
the football game. Yeah, yeah the, and his Howard Cosell impression is pretty yeah. pretty spot on too. Yeah, Paul Servino's cameo is just great. <laughs> All right, well, they're talking about scenes. Let's jump into it. Uh, do you have any iconic scenes when you think like so? As you as a kid, if you think of Turk One Eighty Two, what's the one scene that jumps out to you? The bridge at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the one thing I, I really remember. That and I think the the subway scene. I think yeah, those the are the two. Is- those are the two that sticks with me. I, I don't think I won't say that the the football um, game stuck with me, but I no. it is one of my favorites. Yeah, like the golden apple at the beginning doesn't stick with me no, because but it's, also, it's not it's not his. It's a setup yeah. for what he's gonna do. Yeah, but yeah, definitely the end. And we'll talk about the end. I don't want to talk about the end just yet, but. Um, but yeah, the subway scene to me is probably the one that I remembered the most as iconic outside of the ending. But the ending is what, if you watch the trailer, yeah. they show a lot of the ending in the trailer because it's the yeah. most kind of dangerous, quote unquote. And if you were ever to see does. clips from this in like a 80s movie montage or something, it's yeah, going to be yeah. the, the scene at the end, the, the bridge. Mm-hmm. That's what you're yeah. going to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what about favorite scenes for you? Again, it's the... The football game, I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's my favorite. Um, yeah, I'll just stick with that one. It's the football scene. Yeah, this one's a little tough because I don't have. There's not a whole lot of scenes that I would think are like favorite. Like there are good scenes, but nothing really. Because we just watched the movie and we literally just watched it yeah. <laughs> an hour and a half ago. Uh, just trying to think back to any of the scenes. Not that they're bad, there's just nothing that's that really jumps out at no. me. I do love I do love Super Turk. That's, <laughs> I'll have to throw out Super Turk. Yeah. That was always a favorite funny scene. Um, no, you were say? I don't think there's any bad scenes. I think there's scenes that you're just kind of going, okay, let, let's move on. Um, yeah, yeah. I think there are some of the not that again, not that they're bad scenes. Mm-hmm. You're just there's a lot of unnecessary. Like scenes that in, you know, um, if the movie wasn't already an hour and a half, mm-hmm. they would probably cut. You know, there, there's just I think one too many scenes of him talking about his brother, and him mm-hmm. and them talking about the, the mental state his brother is in. I think right. there's just one too many scenes about. Um, I mean, honestly, even the scene with the guy who helps him with the. Um, with the uh, the football game with the the jumbotron, yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm just like I don't understand the necessity of this scene because there's so <laughs> much in this movie that's not explained. Exactly for yeah. to then to yeah. have so much of the little details of the movie explained to us. I'm mm-hmm. going. I would have been perfectly fine with cutting just straight to uh, him sitting in the the stadium and pulls out the little remote and hits a button. I don't need to right, know how right. he did it. Right. Right. Yeah. And you and I talked about like even watching it, we tried not to talk too much while we were watching it because we don't want to spoil too much, but the montage, there's a great montage sequence where you see where he's, it's all Photoshop stuff, but he's painted on like the side of the Capitol building. Like, you know, how did he do that? How did he get away? You know? Uh, yeah. And that seems like, like a, such a bigger, thing than what he ends up doing 
I guess at, at the, the end. end. I guess the reason yeah. why the one at the end is is so big is because it's an event. Like he's not doing it in the middle of the night when no one can right. see him, which right. is what right. I think you're to assume all those other ones that he did them, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, without an audience. Um, yeah, because Peter Boyle's detective, he's doing a little, he's doing <laughs> a little, little picture detective. presentation. Yeah, the little picture presentation, like you know, when he did this, such and such was asleep, and when he did, you know, he's like finding out why they're he's getting away with stuff. Uh, even though they can't figure out it's it's the guy's younger brother using yeah, his nickname. That is and his the badge worst, number. worst <laughs> hidden secret identity. Which they yeah. again, another scene that just I don't think really needed was the Kim Cattrall to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Wait, he mm-hmm. was called Turk? And then right. and then he worked for ladder one eighty two or mm-hmm. yeah, I'm it's like, come on. I mean, I know we're watching a 1985 movie in 2022, mm-hmm. uh, but they couldn't make that movie now because it'd be so easy. I mean, yeah. anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Turk, Turk 182, yeah. That's uh, that's his brother's nickname. That's, uh, I mean, if... A, a quick... Yeah. Yeah. If they didn't know who he was to begin with, okay. But they knew, mm-hmm. they knew the connection from the beginning. Right. So but even, e- like, even that... And I guess this is a part where we're going to kind of like, you know, talk about the parts of the movie that could have been better because this has some pretty big plot holes in it. But so you've got that where like even those closest to Jimmy or even to his brother would have figured that out. Yeah. Like Turk 182 wasn't that secretive yeah. of a code name. But then, too, for like the detectives to not figure out. I mean, the it's, the brother went to the went to the mayor. Mm-hmm. He was very adamant about what he was trying to say. He posted all of the, the paperwork with their names on it. Everywhere. Right, exactly. So, right, so, now granted he did steal the other group's, you know, protest about Zimmerman uh, to kind of get his Which is another thing we're there. not explained right, right. barely at all. Yeah. But we didn't need to be. Right. So, like, even as we get to the end and he's putting on his you know his, his last stand or whatever and i think it's because before, right before they had that scene where he's going to tell turn himself in and say hey i'm i'm turk 182 and you have all the imposters like super turk and these other you know mm-hmm. the other people there <laughs> the snm turk that's standing behind them right <laughs> yeah what i would have liked to have seen is some of them like trying to duplicate him like why didn't we see copycat the copycats tags? yeah yeah to then kind of throw them off, like give them some red herring. Tell, oh, it must be this guy, it must like be this a, guy. Yeah. You, yeah, you you never had another suspect. Or like a I am the whole Spartacus time. moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I'm trickling down. Yeah, so that that's probably the biggest gaping plot hole for me watching it now. And as a kid, I wasn't thinking about any of that. It was just watching the movie as it is. But um, watching it now, those those are the things you're just kind of like, hmm, was it not there? In the script, or yeah. was it in there? And they just tried to they tried to scale it back to keep it to that good old '80s hour and thirty six, yeah, movie time. But and it, it uh, is a good hour and thirty six. Like you don't feel like you're yeah. sitting. It, it it goes by. Really. It, yeah, it paces really well. Even with the scenes that I'm talking about, it still paces very well. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and you don't feel like it's dragging. So, but it does it does feel like a TV movie. I'm not gonna it does. lie about that. Yeah, yeah. It's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. You can tell they were going for it at the end, like like I said, the 
the end, like, we'll, we'll go and talk about the end. So the end where he's, you know, taking over the Queensboro Bridge, they want that to be the big dramatic ending. So you've got the crowds, you've got the different, you know, locations that are watching it on TV, and, of course, the stunt work with him flying, you know, swinging from letter to letter. That kind of takes, for me, that takes out of that TV movie. It gives a little bit more of the budget. But by that point, they know who he is. They know what he's trying to do. Me watching it now, I'm like, what's really the point for him to do it? Like, once they know what's him up there, it's like, well, you, we know you're going to do it. Yeah. Why having it light up saying Turk 182, why was that such a... I thought the movie wanted to feel like this is an important moment, but I never really bought into it. I think it's it's for the people. Yeah. You know, it's to show that he has, that he overcomes, it's to show that he, no matter what, wasn't going to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what it is at the end. It's for, it's for the people. Like they, they know who he is at this point and now he's just got to say, you know, Hey, I'm completing this for you. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm accomplishing this, you know, as one last hurrah, uh, they're not going to stop me until this gets gets finished mm-hmm. that's what i really think which which then brings another thing that we brought up what does happen after yeah. this is all finished yeah i mean you, you have this great you know freeze frame of him swinging like oh he did it and then i you know the mayor makes the comment like when he comes down from there we're gonna say we were we had his we were rooting for him the whole time but does yeah. his brother get the pension does and he still has to go to prison yeah you still yeah yeah you still like, broke a bunch of he laws he still has to be charged <laughs> for all, all the laws that he has broken right right so that's that's where it kind of it's a fun movie to watch. It has it has some great moments, but it 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 felt very anticlimactic. Rewatch in a rewatch now, watching it with 2022 eyes, it yeah. feels a little more anticlimactic for me. But even for a nineteen eighties movie, I mean, you do the freeze frame. Mm-hmm. Why do we not get text on the screen? Yeah, 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 telling us you know what happened. <laughs> yeah. That would have been good. I mean, that's a nineteen eighties trope that is right true. there. That is true. So, yeah. But yeah, but it's still good. I, and I don't have any trivia for this movie. The only thing I could find was one of the first, it was one of the first films to be classified with a PG-13 rating in the USA. So there's really... 1985, that makes sense. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. Any other scenes you want to talk about? or? Uh, no. I mean, there's the, again, the just really, just completely pointless um, romantic scene after yeah. Kim Cattrall finds... <laughs> yeah. Uh, finds out that he's Turk 182, and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm, I'm now interested in right, him. right. You know, after the conversation earlier of eh, I'm dating a doctor and a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's. I will say the Kim Cattrall stuff. There's no point no. to it. I mean, it'd been different if her being the representative of the brother, if that played a factor it, in something, yeah, like, really, but it yeah. doesn't. Cause towards the end of the movie, I was like, what is her role again? Like, what is her job? Is she, a... I forgot that she was like a rep rep for him. Or, uh, representation. Yeah. I was like, is she a reporter? What? I forgot. No. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, she, she's clearly there to be just the love interest yeah, and yeah. to have that little love story go on, even though it's completely pointless, completely useless. It's completely, um, Shoe predictable yeah. from the beginning to it the end. It feels definitely shoehorned into the movie. Like it doesn't feel like a natural progression of the movie uh, to me. Just give someone to ride in his sidecar. Yeah, exactly. Which obviously must be a German uh, motorcycle because she says Skrvolt. Or what does she say? Yeah. Before she gets I don't in. Know. <laughs> we're laughing. 
And then we talked about where, you know, all the things that he does, where does he get the money to pull off the stunts? I mean, yeah, the paint, the paint's not a big deal, but, but the fact that he's able to get one of those giant banners Mm -hmm. for a plane, um, and then, yeah, I assume, I guess you have to assume he steals, you know, the rigging and all that he uses at the end. I guess you assume he steals the, uh, the sandblaster that he uses for the, the subway, Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, the money for that, and then I guess he just, he and the friend for the the hacking the computer for the Jumbotron, I guess that was just the friend. Must be. Did it yeah. out of the goodness of his heart. He has some good connections um, for him to be unemployed. Yeah. I mean, he could have <laughs> could have got a job at the stadium. He could have got a job uh, other places. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. But it's still, I mean, once again, it's a forgotten 80s flick. Somewhat forgotten for a reason, but it's, a but it's, good but it's one. still good. It's a good one. It's it's, it's endearing. It's a good watch. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to make your your top list. Oh, no. but no, <laughs> you're not going to be upset watching. Yeah, it. yeah. And once again, I think for the nostalgia, like for us that saw it as kids, I can see why us as kids have fond memories about it because it is, it does have some exciting scenes. It's it's got some fun funny scenes, some action for you know, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. And he's the rebellious youngster fighting. Yeah, the, exactly. Fighting the man. Yeah, exactly. And he does definitely act young. Uh, Timothy Hudson's definitely trying to act young in the movie for sure. Yeah, so. yeah. He gives off a very uh, in the going back to the football scene. He gives mm-hmm. off a very Ferris Bueller vibe. Yeah, yeah. In that the way yeah. he hunches in, mm-hmm. pulls out the the little remote control, which again, Kim, Kim Cattrall is just blind as a bat right, right. to not yeah. see him pull out the, what are you doing with that? No, right. She's right. distracted. Nobody notices in a, yeah. in a full stadium. And now these messages. What's up dudes. I'm Jerry D of totally rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the eighties, toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever. Like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers... And Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle... And Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult. The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today. Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life for You. And here at Retro Life for You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, 
Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, so box office, Turk 182 debuted in movie theaters on February 14th, 1985, which was oh, President's Day Valentine's weekend. Valentine's movie. Yeah. It was 10th at the box office. It was Boo. beat by two other new releases that week, Vision Quest, which debuted in fifth place, and The Breakfast Club, which took the number three spot. None of them could unseat Beverly Hills Cop from the first place spot during its second week of release. Understandable. Yeah. I don't know. Tenth, though. I, I kind of need to know all, all of the nine above, but oh. I've never heard of Vision Quest. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah. Another Forgotten yeah. Eddie's flick that I just posted a week or so ago. But, yep. Yeah, uh, and although I will give Breakfast Club its due, I think I have made it known I am not a huge <laughs> fan of Breakfast Club. Yes, we, we had we had that discussion already. Um, so critical reception, Rotten Tomatoes, twenty nine percent on the fifty seven percent audience score. But IMDb is not much different. It's got a five point nine out of ten with viewers Boo. and twenty three on Metacritic. Well, so. Metacritic always sucks. So. Always bad. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's not that bad. No, it is not. It, I it I'd put it in the seventies. Yeah, that's where I was going to say. I would put it in the 70s. You won't be upset watching it, after watching it. You won't think you've wasted an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. enjoyable. You won't want to watch it again, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's really. Not, it doesn't yeah. have the rewatchability that you are all you know, you know always talk yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah, but I mean, again, I watched it, you know, when I was a child. Never saw it again, <laughs> just mainly because I didn't have a, a way to. A way watch to. It. Right. Then I watched it when I bought the DVD, but then after I watched it when I bought the DVD, did not watch it again until you wanted to do this podcast. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm happy to own it, but, yeah, it's mm-hmm. not going to be one that I pop into the DVD player, you know, every few weeks going, yeah, I just want to watch Turk 182. <laughs> no. I own it for the nostalgia, and that's it. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, this has a good cast, and I think they all play their roles well. So that is what makes it really enjoyable for me. Like seeing Robert Culp is great. Peter Boyle is great. Timothy Hutton is good. Erwick is good. Kim Cattrall, sure. Eh. <laughs> but uh, James Tolkien for his you know few lines that he has. But yeah, I think I think the acting and the cast definitely help make it watchable over the 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 plot, the overall Paul plot Servino, of the story. Paul best Servino, part of the movie. yeah, his ca- his cameo for sure. Uh, so yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, Laramie, well, thank you so much for being a part of this special bonus episode. And you're celebrating a birthday with the Moving Panels podcast, aren't you? Yes. We uh, we we are starting three years. We're three years in. Uh, very excited to see um, 
what's in store for us for year three with moving panels and we got some great stuff planned and uh check out the show to find out like i said go back and listen to that greatest american hero episode if you haven't heard that one that was a fun one so all right everybody thanks for listening be sure to find us on social media facebook instagram twitter tiktok especially with the forgotten 80s flicks i've kind of slowed down here recently um but i'm gonna keep keep it rolling as long as i can i, I would just hit 100 i've done 100 forgotten 80s flicks which is wow. crazy and i've still got a not a long list but i've still got a good probably another good 100 to cover so uh if you got suggestions uh, ones that I haven't got to yet, be sure to let me know through social media or by email. That's all I'm going to talk about for this one. I think we've covered as much as we're going to cover. But I appreciate everybody listening. Thank you, Larry, for being a part, as always. Thank you. Yep. For 80s Big Flashback Podcast, I'm Tim Williams. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.